Hello, everyone, and welcome to the PPC Show brought to you by AdStage. I am Paul Wicker. And I'm J.D. Prater. And today is the last day in May in 2019, and these are your top headlines in paid marketing. Uh, but before we talk about paid marketing, we should talk about my hair. Uh, recently on LinkedIn, <laughs> of someone course. recommended our podcast and showed the f- one of our, our cover photos from when I had my mohawk. And I really miss it because my hair is really, I'm trying to grow it out. And it's at that awkward phase now where it's just, it's terrible. It's going to be a mullet soon. Mm. You got that like that like thick hair. You get like Bradley Cooper hair. You should grow it out. You'd be like Jackson Maine in A Star is Born. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say I didn't see that movie and think, okay, I could do that. I play guitar. <laughs> I could play that song on guitar now. So for Halloween, it's kind of a stretch because he doesn't really have like a, a outfit people know. But I think carry a guitar dress like whatever he dressed like. I don't know. It's a stretch. He's got he's to sing shallows. Yeah. In the shallows, It's <laughs> pretty good, huh? That was pretty good. I'm impressed. We got to get you in karaoke. Um, That's what happens when you're sick and congested. <laughs> not only can you sing great, but you are also the number something, top 25, uh, one of the top 25 most influential experts of 2019, according to the PPC Hero uh, survey they do, or and a survey slash write-in, vote type thing. So congratulations on your placement. What are you, you're seven, right? Uh, I, I broke the top five. Oh. I, I'm in there. Number four. Yeah. So not five, no, number four. A uh, little surprised, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, I didn't really like, so like last year, you know, unapologetically went hard. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get in there and, you know, got into the top 10. And then uh, this year I was like, you know, you know, it's just like a popularity contest, you know, whatever. I'm jaded and got like number four. And I was like, oh, wow, well, that's really surprising. <laughs> wow. That's that's a nice flex right there. You're like, I didn't even try. <laughs> and I just walked I into the top five. Yeah, so. that's, that's my humble brag. Right. I mean, uh, no, it feels good. I mean, they're, they're super smart people in there, you know, in there. So uh, I think more than anything else, it's one of those where. You know, like we have this podcast, we do webinars, you know, you're writing articles, you're speaking at conferences, and sometimes you just don't really know if it's resonating or if people even see it. And so it was mostly like just like the validation that you're being recognized by your peers that I uh, probably enjoyed the most. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks, everyone. And that's a great list. If you haven't seen it, uh, you can just Google Hannapin uh, top PPC or something like that. And it's 25 of what they call the most influential folks. And there's a lot of familiar faces, although the, the folks near the top are kind of a newer generation. So no offense to Larry Kim or Frederick Valleys or uh, Brad Geddes, who have kind of dominated the list for years. But, you know, there's some new faces on there. There's some faces who you've seen rising, rising up. So check it out and see if you're on there. And you can follow all those folks on Twitter. Although in Hannapin's, uh, whatever you call those things, infographic, they didn't make the handles clickable, so I have to like go on Twitter and look people up. So I'm going to go yell at uh, someone over Jeff. Jeff and Hannapin, come on. Clickable infographics. Uh, oh, you also have news. Uh, your Cora ads team has celebrated their second uh, birthday. Congratulations. Yeah, two years out of beta for the self-serve platform. So this entire week we spent celebrating everyone that's helped make it possible. So really you guys, the customers, the advertisers for all your feedback. Thank you so much for really helping us build this out. So, and then all of our partners and all of our, uh, you know, people that have really helped us to kind of push it to further into their customers. And then uh, I did a podcast yesterday with our director of our ads product team on 
what's it like to build an ads platform? And so he kind of explained the ins and outs from a product, which it felt very much like I was talking with Paul Wicker. So it felt <laughs> like a very natural podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to that one. I, I listened to maybe three or four of the episodes. So whenever that one goes live, I'm definitely listening. Subscribe, subscribe, and it'll go live. It was live yesterday. It's live. Get in there, Paul. Perfect. Yeah, I'm a bad subscriber. Or I have subscribed, but I just get way too many notifications. So It's because uh, you're on Android. You need to be on iTunes. You yeah. You need that Apple phone. That's that's not true. I don't need an <laughs> Apple phone. Um, oh, I had... You reminded me of something. It's gone in my brain and gone and out the other side. Um, oh, I remember what it was. Me and you were talking, and this actually leads into one of our news stories. So um, if you if you haven't seen, LinkedIn bought a company called Drawbridge. Yeah. Um, me and you were talking. You know, we, we have our ear to the ground, and we heard this was coming. And, and I was saying some people thought maybe Cora was on the block, and maybe uh, Microsoft LinkedIn was going to gobble up Cora, but Mike complete speculation was wrong and it was drawbridge which is a an ad tech company uh, that essentially gives them now the ability to do cross device tracking and and attribution and kind of catches them up to what what you see in facebook and google uh, but you are still core is still independent so i was wrong on that one <laughs> now this one is like super impressive again I feel like LinkedIn has just like turned a corner in the last, you know, like six months with their ad tech play, with the improvements that they're making. I don't know if they just got a bigger engineering team or using that Microsoft money, but really impressive, especially when I think about Drawbridge and what they're really trying to do. So uh, I think one of the things I thought was a cool call out was the ability to really, you know, what if you were using Microsoft CRM? We're using Drawbridge to enhance those customer profiles. And now we're able to target you across Microsoft ads, including like LinkedIn, as a way to tie all of this together into one big ecosystem. And Drawbridge really kind of helps them accomplish that. So I think that's really cool. And then the second part to this one, huge call out, LinkedIn marketing solutions, advertising. That's what they call their advertising platform. 46% revenue growth year over year. Woo. Impressive LinkedIn. Good job. Yeah, they're they are definitely continuing to grow very quickly over there. You know, we work a lot with the uh, ads team at LinkedIn, and and we've seen it too with our customer base. You know, LinkedIn used to be thought of kind of more of a niche platform for people in software and education. You know, really high uh, ticket price. And over the years, we've really seen a lot more folks start to treat LinkedIn. <laughs> this this is a compliment. A little more like Twitter where almost everybody has some money on Twitter. You feel like, well, we need an evergreen campaign on Twitter as a larger or even medium-sized brand. Even if it's not strategic, we're not spending a ton of time and effort optimizing it. We at least need something there. We're starting to see that same vibe with our customers where even if they're not a great fit for LinkedIn, they're like, well, we want to have a presence on LinkedIn. And that, I mean, that's great for LinkedIn because that's how you build a nice base of users. And then if they get good results, they spend a lot more. And if, if they don't because it's not aligned, then you still have them on LinkedIn and in the ecosystem. And as they do more with Microsoft, you know, who knows? So yeah, this was a, a great move by LinkedIn. Yeah, super uh, excited for this one. It yeah, is interesting um, that, so when I read these though, then I think of everything going on with privacy and tracking and audience <laughs> and I'm like, you know, are they buying a product just in time to get shut down by the DOJ or, or whoever's gonna start? Uh, trying to take a stand on all this like tracking and audience management stuff but i'm sure they they thought this through they got lawyers um 
Oh, in fact, did you see, I think I shared this link with you, Elizabeth Warren bought a billboard in Soma uh, that says, like, break up big tech. Like, it's kind of, I'm coming after you, big tech, and put it right in this area of San Francisco called Soma, south of Market, where the Caltrain comes in. A lot of the folks who work at the big tech companies kind of commute through there. So it's kind of shot across the bow at at big tech by Elizabeth Warren, who, of course, is also trying to fundraise. So there's a fundraising message on there. (laughs) I was like, wow, shots fired, right? I mean, it's one thing to put that like maybe New York City, the other side of the country, but to come in, put it in like downtown San Francisco, say break up big tech. I mean, I, I don't know who she's trying to necessarily... Uh, like impressed with that. It seems kind of scary at the same time because all of us worked in tech, especially in this one. So I'm interested to see how that how that lands. I mean, to see that this one again, you know, in the in where she put it, it's like kind of close to like the Caltrain station. So a lot of people will take uh, the Caltrain, which is the train. They'll take them from San Francisco going down to like Silicon Valley, like Mountain View to like where Google and Facebook, you know, all these headquarters are. So super, super interesting <laughs> to put it right there, I, I just <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably a stunt oh, wow. more than anything. Because if you think you know, if she's trying to appeal to the folks who want to break up big tech, she's like, look, I you know, I did this. So either way, that was pretty interesting. And again, though, there is this, as I mentioned with Drawbridge, kind of the counterpoint of there is this movement in both politics and with the consumer base to you know against these types of tracking technologies to go more towards uh, privacy so so we will see um the well before and we won't talk about facebook and privacy quite yet because we'll start slamming on them later um there there's some numbers from eMarketer so eMarketer put out their numbers for different platforms i guess no real surprises here anything in here you think surprising i think the biggest thing was you know we, we so eMarketer has cut for 2019, their estimate uh, Facebook usage by 5%. You know, 5% is a lot. You know, when you think about it, actually cutting the amount across the, you know, entire U.S. by 5%, right? I mean, that's a lot. Of course, where does all that engagement go? Anyone got it? Anyone? Bueller? I mean, it's Instagram, right? I mean, it's 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 where it's all moving to. But I think that the real story is if if Facebook is going to come down, like what are they going to do to kind of revamp the platform? How do they keep people engaged? And of course, like their PR people are doing a really good job. I think they were kind of positioning it as, well, you know, like we're trying to like discourage passive viewing of content such as videos that led to a decline in engagement, right? So we're really trying to focus on, well, when you're on there, it's the best possible content. But at the same time, if you're spending 5% less, that's 5% less ads. Maybe you could see in a given day, you know, if we think about inventory, but it went down from, listen to the 50 minutes in 2016. They're now saying it's going to be 37 minutes in 2019. So if you look at it at that stretch, I mean, that's 13 minutes over three years. Um, are, are they going to be around in five years? That's the real question. We'll see. Right. Well, AOL is still around, so I'm, they'll be around. <laughs> well, we'll yeah, they'll be around. Yeah. Uh, and then there was something about Snapchat, too, I thought. Um, that Yeah, Snap's still in there. They're flat. Uh, I believe they're flat, but they they only count users over, like, 18. 
So the Snapchat's mm-hmm. core demographic isn't in the study. But for people over 18, they were like flat or even down. I can't remember. But not growing. But Snapchat says it doesn't matter. But we have all those kids. <laughs> that's our, our core demographic. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So flat since like 2017, basically 26 minutes a day. There's still 26 minutes a day. They've been that way for the last couple of years. They haven't increased or decreased that. It's literally flat. But uh, again, not in, this is all 18 plus. So this isn't really getting those 13 to 18. And let's be honest, probably like eight year olds uh, on there as well. But uh, Instagram was at 29 minutes. I think the real thing is still look Facebook we might lose, you know, a few minutes here, but it's getting made up in Instagram, which we still own. So it's still part of the property and people are still advertising on both. And the, you know, if they want more usage uh, on Facebook, then that might help explain why they've continued to keep the Nancy Pelosi video live on Facebook. (laughs) Oh, snap. Oh, shots fired, Paul. That was a pretty good segue. (laughs) It's been six, I think six or seven days now, and it's like front page news. It was even in USA Today. Which, if, if you're in USA Today, you have went full mainstream uh, as, a, as a story. If you don't know, if you've been in a hole and you didn't hear, there's a video of Nancy Pelosi speaking, and it was slowed down just a little bit, but it's enough that makes her slur her words and look really like she's drunk and really out of it. And uh, it's faked. You know, obviously someone slowed down the video and presented it as if it was real, and then there was a lot of folks in the alt-right, you know, starting this meme about how she's crazy and all this fun stuff. And then this all came out. It's fake. YouTube was like, okay, they took the video down. Facebook did not. They just kind of down, you know, downvoted it or, you know, made the algo value it less, but it's still all over Facebook. So now there's this huge debate uh, in in media and politics about Facebook's role as a media company and censorship and fake news and, and all the things we've been talking about for years, but really focused on this Pelosi video. It's a tough one, right? Because you you see this intersection of like personal brand, but also like a public figure. Because the thing is, if you were to do this to Nike, if you took a Nike commercial and messed with it, oh man, they'd be all over you and they would win, right? But you do this to a public figure and it's somewhat okay. And I think the the difference with this one is uh, it's not satire. Like it's not like they were trying to pawn it off as like a joke, like on SNL or something like that. This is like legitimately trying to discredit the number, what, yeah, number three most powerful person in the U.S., meaning, you know, it's <laughs> her, the V, you know, Trump, VP, and her as far as line of becoming the president, right? And so, yeah, that, that definitely, I think, is a problem, something we have to kind of figure out what to do with. And I'm sure that she's not alone in this category, even, you know, bigger time athletes probably have this stuff as well, or, you know, professionals or celebrities that are also being made fun of, but there, there should be some kind of protection. It seems like. Yeah. And really the core argument goes back to like freedom of speech, uh, censorship and social media's role as a news outlet. Are they news and are they a media company that needs to be regulated because we, there's already been lines drawn in media for years. I mean, newspapers can't run libelous, uh, if that's a word, um, libel, they will be accused of libel if they run, uh, you know, articles that are just not true about people. They can be sued for that. You know, there's all these repercussions. If they ran, if anyone ran a fake video that was proven to be fake, they'd do a retraction, they'd apologize. But social media is just like, well, we're not the news. We just move this news around. 
Uh, and a lot of folks are arguing that, yeah, you're not a newspaper. You're not news from 1985, but in 2019, you are news. You are exactly what a news company does. You disseminate information. You target the information at folks. You decide what goes at the front of the page, you know, the, above the fold. You're, you are the modern equivalent of a media company, so you need to accept responsibility for the information contained within your product. And if you have a bunch of lies and incendiary stuff and hate speech and all that, uh, you need to take responsibility for it, which is funny because for years, the media company, well, the people who create content, the content creators want to get paid by Facebook saying, hey, you know, you're, my article is on your site and you're not paying me to use it. And there's this, you know, kind of uh, debate about their role as like a distribution source for media and, you know, uh, I don't know. So it's like an evolution of that same debate where they want to take no responsibility for the content, but still use the content to get people onto their site. <laughs> yeah, which is a really good point as far as like brand safety goes. So for all you get, make sure you get your block list in there. You can block politics. You can block, you know, socially debatable issues. I think something like that. But like, I don't want my ad next to that at all. I don't want to be near those comments. Those comments are hateful. They're pretty vile and they don't necessarily end up where I want my brand. So make sure advertisers get your block list in there. Good point. Uh, let's speak about Google. So Google, it's looking great because YouTube is like, we took it off the platform, <laughs> made a <laughs> clear true. decision. They're looking great. Um, they're, they're not looking great in the Twitter, Twitter sphere uh, regarding some of the marketing changes though. They made a, a tiny change to targeting which has been, I mean, th we've been debating this for, for years. I remember when I first got into paid and, I, you know, I was working with SMBs and local, quote unquote, local is very important and geotargeting was important. And people were always like, I want to restrict my ads to just these people. And then, you know, you'd set everything up right, but then your ads would be all over the place. And you'd be like, how am I getting traffic from China when I set up like this zip code target? And then Google would be like, well, you know, geotargeting is close and, you know, people have shared IP addresses and people use incognito and all that. But now it's 2019 and you're, Google knows everything. They know exactly where you are. You know, you got a phone that's tracking you at all times. Um, but still they've decided to make their targeting a little bit looser. So you used to be able to target people in a location, which meant people are physically in that location. Now the targeting options change. So you can target those people in the location or people who are like researching about that location. Um, so that's kind of how it used to be too, where if like you're, you live in... Honolulu or someone searching about Honolulu, they could both get ads about Honolulu. Yeah, this one is is interesting. I'm trying to like kind of figure out why this change. I mean, is it is it a technology issue? Is it just because you need more inventory? You want to reach these people? Is it really about intent? Because the idea of you know, so before the old setting, reach people in your targeted location. That was it. Meaning you had to be at the time of search in this DMA zip code, whatever it is you're targeting, right? And if you weren't in that, ads did not show up. But now it's saying people who have searched for your target location, but whose physical location was outside of it, but they're in there pretty regularly, right? So I get it, maybe the intent. So maybe, you know, I work in Mountain View, I live in Santa Cruz but maybe you want to show me, you know, something in Mountain View when I'm there. I, I get it. I'm regularly here, but I'm not here. Ugh, I just, but at the same time, is it just because you want that extra impression and you just need those extra, or is the intent there? I'm just trying to figure it out from their side. I think from our side, we're like, no, <laughs> I only want to serve these people. 
whenever they are here at this time. And <clears throat> and so I maybe I have this wrong because I'm because what you said is really so now it's people who are regular like you're in regularly in. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to say. Right. <laughs> like regularly, it's like the right. It's the L's. <laughs> so you have people who are in it, or they show interest in. That's kind of the standard. Then you have people who are in, or regularly in. Okay, so that's where you go to work every day. So they they know I'm in San Francisco every day. So they can they want to target me San Francisco ads, even though I'm not in San Francisco at night because I'm home. Okay. Then they have people just searching for your location. God, yeah. And people are grumpy yeah. because they don't want Google to, to do that, you know, whether you're in it or not in it. I guess I could see how people might have strategies for, like, I want people at work when, you know, they're in San Francisco. I want to give them these ads versus when they're at home. Uh, anytime you take away control, all the marketers freak out. But Yeah. I thought Andrea Cruz had a really good quote in this one where she was just really like, hey, like, it'd be great to, if we actually had both options. So, like, have one option where you keep people who are in your targeted location, but then another option that says, hey, like, I also want to target people who are regularly in these targeted locations. I, I, I agree with that, actually. So we'll see what, see what ends up happening with this one. Yeah, I, I'm guessing Google does this, though, where they give you a lot of options and then they take some away, then they combine other ones. Because it's also that debate of, like, Google's like, we want to make it easy to use. We want Google Ads to be straightforward. And it's, like, super complex. And there's all these tiny little options that you need to read help articles to understand. So as a product person at Google, I can imagine, like, hey, we want to give people choice, but not so much choice that you can't use our product because you have to read help articles to pick from these 15 different minute options. And they could look at the data on the, hey, does this make a difference in campaign performance? Like, is this enough that we have to make people worry about this tiny little change? So it's a tough one. Yeah, and then speaking of removing, I mean, today's May 31st, so starting tomorrow, June 1st, we've got some... uh, strategies coming or sorry you're going to be losing two bidding strategies I think they're going to roll out like in late June but uh they're coming your way in June so uh what is going away here Paul uh, well so this is funny because in in the old days again at PPC people always wanted to you know be in a certain position they wanted to be above their competitors and there used to be all these rules everybody would build to try to get people in in certain positions and then Google of course you know, started messing with the search results page, right-hand ads going away, and how many ads were at the top and bottom and mobile and desktop and all that. So they finally just gave up. And so we're getting rid of the (laughs) target um, search page location and outranking share. So stepping back from those, which have been out, I don't know, maybe for two years or a year and a half or something like that. And if you're using those, you automatically get moved to, uh, I think it's impression share, top impression. Yeah, target, target impression share. Right. Um, which I don't know how they automatically move you there, I guess, because don't you need to like set an impression share target? But it says <laughs> campaigns will be automatically optimized based on the previous target loca- target locations and historical impression share. So they'll take a shot at it for you. Yeah, I think the the one with this one too that is like a red flag for me. Like one, okay, you're getting rid of them, but you're going to automatically opt me in. But it's also it's an automatic bid. Right, so you're not exactly b- saying how much you want to bid. It's it's an automatic bid that they're going to help place for you according to where like help get your ads shown above their results. So that's that's another like tricky one. Again, kind of black box ish, right? Especially like in a secondhand auction, it's kind of kind of difficult. 
so have fun. Have fun updating your bid strategies <laughs> on Google, and uh, hopefully the small change in targeting doesn't affect you too much. Oh, I should have segued to this earlier because LinkedIn acquired you know, a tracking company, and then Amazon acquired, uh, I never know if it's Seismic or Seismic. Seism- I would say Seismic. Seismic. That's, that's how I say it. Okay. Well, you are a top five PPC influencer, so uh, you should know. Uh, seismic. Well, and I shouldn't call you an influencer. I don't want to insult you. <laughs> I like that influencers become an insult. Uh, it's the we were talking about before the show started because uh, of a guest you had on your other podcast. But the influencer industry is just kind of like such a weird place. And we have an article in here that they did launch this new coalition to try to st- uh, standardize pricing. Because uh, big brands are, you know, getting sick of trying to figure out how to use influencers to promote their brands without getting suckered by all uh, these kind of fraudsters that are in the influencer market. Oh man, the, I love it! It's the Influencer Marketing Council, the IMC. They, like this is what we've done. It's become so popular. Like guys, we got to get together. What are we going to call it? Influencer Marketing Council. So it's a coalition of brands, agencies, influencers, and they just released a list of best practices. Uh, so go make sure you go check out these 12 best practices uh, to help you uh, if you're doing some influencer marketing and you're kind of under trying to maybe getting tired of policing and trying to figure out the actual added value there between your your micro influencer strategy and your macro influencer strategy. Oh, and your nano influencer strategy. Wow. I just saw. Nano. We have nano now. I think we're nano. Maybe I'm a nano and you're a micro. (laughs) (laughs) One day I hope to be a micro influencer. I know there's a hotel in some tropical location that banned influencers because they were spending like 20 minutes by the pool or two hours by the pool, you know, staging the perfect shot. And then they wanted discounts and they kept trying to throw, throw around their, you know, Instagram followers to like get free stuff. And the hotel was like, we don't care. We don't want you here. Like people are here to enjoy the place, not just take two hours to take a photo of our pool <laughs> that is probably the worst for all you instagram boyfriends out there like uh like bless you for having that kind of patience but come on 20 to 30 minutes just to get a, that one photo let's move on let's do some other things like actually having fun and doing some really cool stuff in those tropical locations and girlfriends you let's not make and girlfriends let's not just That's make right. it the boyfriends although I just went to see Hamilton after two years after everybody else, which was just as great as everyone says. Uh, and before the show, you know, like 20 minutes before the show started, there was, it happened to be a boyfriend taking a picture of his girlfriend, I assume, uh, you know, from this funky angle with the, you know, it's in this, the Orpheus, Orpheum, Orpheus Theater, Orpheum. In San Francisco, it's got this cool Greek architecture and whatnot. So trying to get the perfect shot. And I was like, how long are they going to be taking this photo? They have hand signals. She's changing angles. He's pointing in different directions. I was like, you, you know, this is outrageous. It's the world we live gotta, in. If you want to be an influencer, you got to work. Yeah, that's work. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is how you, you work. This is how photos. you work is getting that perfect angle. But uh, we, we kind of we, we, we briefly mentioned... Uh, the Amazon acquiring Seismic. Seismic. Yes, let's get back to Seismic. Um, Yeah, let's get into it. So Seismic's an ad server. Uh, They went broke uh, a few months ago, um, and then Amazon has been looking at them uh, to kind of review if it made sense, and I guess they decided they're broke, but there's still some good tech there, so they decided to buy them, and it gives them uh, basically they're the largest display ad network. I don't know if I should call it display ad. I'll just call it an ad network. 
uh, behind Google now. So this really does like leapfrog them in terms of like programmatic. Yeah, I mean, number two behind Google, that's huge. I mean, again, we're seeing just like we saw with LinkedIn making moves, like Amazon's also making moves. So we can see Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, they're all kind of, I, I would say specifically Amazon and Microsoft, they're kind of these underdogs making these plays to really take on, it really feels like taking on Google more so than just like just Facebook. Because uh, I think really they all kind of mostly probably competing to be the number two. But this is huge. I mean, to be the number two, and I think what's interesting too around a lot of this is, uh, based off this article, was a lot of these clients of Seismic were using Seismic to avoid Google. They didn't want to give Google that information. Um, and then the second, now they are getting acquired by Amazon and they're like, wait, I don't want to give it to you either. Like the point of this was, I don't want to go through one of these big type of, you know, advertising platforms, you do big guys. So that'll be interesting. But the other part is I still don't want to give it to Google. I'd rather give it to Amazon. But, uh, I, what I think is really cool. Amazon piecing together their online customer data. So that's like we talked about with drawbridge. This is going to be awesome for attribution. So being able to attribute those sales and tracking shopper activity across the web. So as a marketer and an advertiser, I'm like really excited for this as a, you know, again, a consumer, I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> getting tracked everywhere. Anyway, yeah, I, I think it's going to be good. I agree. So it's that same both sides of the, the tracking coin, great for better targeting, uh, also under fire from a privacy angle. And yeah, that I mean, that's the real value from Amazon is all the data they're going to get. You know, every time Seismic slash Amazon serves a display ad somewhere, you know, there's a little bit of tracking that happens so they could see what people click on and that can all fuel Amazon's attribution strategy. And since that's where all the purchases are happening, which was a piece Google didn't have, um, unless, of course, using... Google Analytics and their conversion pixel, and arguably they have access to that data, although who knows how they use it, uh, but, or maybe you're using, using Data Studio. It's free. I always wonder why they give it out for free. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I think what you hit on is 100%, and I think being able to track from impression to transaction, transaction, like that's what Amazon is known for. Google doesn't get transactions. They can see transactions, but they don't actually like know, know that it's you where Amazon does know you're logged in and we're able to see that you saw this ad on this, you know, website 20 days later, you came back and you purchased like that gets some kind of credit from that impression. So that's going to be amazing for all of these, you know, e-commerce website and retailers that are using Amazon and Amazon shopping products. So uh, I think their ecosystem is only going to get, uh, I think, challenge the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. And I think this is going to be a huge draw for them. Well, I guess it is like the triopoly now. It's Google, Facebook, yeah. Amazon dominate everything online at this point. Yeah. And then Microsoft's trying. And I, I, I give them credit thinking and going through uh, LinkedIn to kind of accomplish this fourth aspect yeah. We don't really talk about them as much. Well, they and LinkedIn had bought um, a, a weird company, one doing um, something, oh, um, employee surveys, like reviews. Um, like, so LinkedIn, because when I, was, I saw this acquisition, I was looking at other acquisitions LinkedIn made. And one of the recent companies they also bought was like a software where people do employee evaluations and mm -hmm. like, you know, your quarterly reviews or whatever. Um, so 
clearly LinkedIn try, you know, and they obviously have like their e-learning platform. Uh, so like they're trying to build a different type of product, you know, around skills and employment and education and learning and maybe, you know, professional growth and reviews. So they have an angle to get in there. You know, who knows if the market's going to be as big as e-commerce? Probably not. But uh, they have a, it looks like they have a pretty clear strategy. So that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is, was, I don't, I can't verify any of this, but I think someone had told me like, you know, sales navigator, what they have for the sales side, they have the recruiting kind of HR component as well is still like makes more money than their advertising does, which is also just kind of crazy to think about. Right. Which is why I thought maybe Cora as an acquisition would be great. I mean, you're like the number one question and answer <laughs> site. Uh, I'm sure you're a lot more than that. And your CEO would be like, we're not a Q and a site, but, uh, that's where people go to ask questions. That's learning, education, knowledge. I don't know. I don't know. Look out. One of these days, you might be in the Microsoft family. <laughs> we'll see. You guys heard it first. This is I, this would be a prediction. We always wanted to do oh, yeah. wins and fails and predictions. Paul's prediction, Microsoft buys Quora. Yeah, well, and I'm running out of time for my Snapchat. Uh, gets bought by Google prediction, by the way. I don't know. I guess I have the rest of the year. So we're about six months in almost. Uh, oh, good one to bring up. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was voting Amazon or Disney, so I think we're both still in in the waiting. Yeah, Snapchat, waiting. Snapchat, Snap stock recovered a bit too much, but we'll see. If it tanks again, then maybe we'll be right. Uh, all right, that is all the headlines we have for you this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want more, you can head over to blog.adsage.io, sign up for our newsletter, or head over to SoundCloud and find more of these lovely podcasts. Uh, so enjoy your week. See you guys.